0: Well, this is an ominous way to meet together, isn't it? My goodness. I better be sure I don't say anything heretical tonight when I teach. Might just get struck down. Yeah, I wonder, well, thanks, thanks for that, Ben. You could have just waited to tell me that later. Um, tonight, and I hope you were able to grab a lesson sheet. If you didn't, uh, Ben will grab you one. Would you, yeah, throw your hand up, a couple hands there. Ben will bring you uh, a lesson sheet, and anybody else? A couple folks. Some of them are white, and some of them are ivory. That's just how they printed, because I, and I didn't print them again, because I didn't want to kill trees, so... Tonight, that's going to be close. Tonight, we're talking about the incommunicable attributes of God. Now, here's what incommunicable means. It means the attributes that God does not share with us. The things that are germane to Him, the things that are exclusive to Him that we don't partake in. So, I've actually already, because of my sickness, this is the interesting thing, I'm two weeks ahead on my, on my sermon prep now. It's amazing. But, um, uh, but the, the reality is, when we talk about communicable attributes of God, you might think of knowledge. God is all-knowing. We have the ability to know, but we don't know like God knows. So, He communicates this attribute. He shares it with us. We get to share in part of what He's like but not fully, not fully like he's like. So God is all-knowing, we are partially knowing. Now, incommunicable attributes of God are a little different. They are the ones that we don't share. Now, you may wonder, what good is this to talk about all the things that we don't get to experience? Well, the good news is, when we see the incommunicable attributes of God, the things that he has that we don't, we're able to understand that he is God and we are not. We're able to see what he is like. We're able to get a picture of his holiness, that he is other than us, that he's set apart from us and different. So let me just read from Isaiah 55, and, uh, and, and we'll start it off with this passage, which I think is appropriate. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. So there's some what you might call discontinuity here. There's some, some, some senses in which God is not like us. Hopefully, that's an easy sell. Hopefully, I don't have to convince you of that. I, I've lived with me for 31 years, and I have a very good sense that I am not God because I know me, and I am not, I'm not perfect. I'm not like Him. I, don't, I, have, I have limitations. I have gaps in my wisdom, gaps in my understanding. I, I do things, and then very, very soon after that, I look back and say, why did I do that? Why did I do that that way? That wasn't a very "'Smart thing to do. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways,' declares the Lord. "'For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. "'For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but but water the earth, "'making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, "'so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth.'" It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Friends, this is why I preach the Bible, because I'm not God and I don't have any power. I, I can't do. I can't do heart change. I can't do heart change, but the Word of God can. Right? How many of us would love to be able to say that our word? will accomplish what we send it out to do. When you're having a conversation with somebody, when you're having a tense, I don't know, a conflict, and you get in a wreck downtown and somebody opens up the door of their car and they're just steaming mad hot and you wish, I wish I had some words right now that could just kind of cool the situation down. I wish my word could go forth and do exactly what I hope for it to do. Well, we are not like that, but God is. God's Word always accomplishes exactly what He sends it to do. So, to speak of God, this is an introduction here, to speak of God is an interesting little exercise. We can speak of Him truly, but we can't speak of Him exhaustively. In other words, we can say true things about God, but we can never really understand the depth of those things that we say. Does that make sense? In other words, we can say God is righteous, and that's true. But who of us can plumb the depths of his righteousness? Who of us has ever seen how deep that well is? We can speak of God truly, even though we can never know him fully. So, it's an interesting exercise when we speak about God. This is to say we can know Him, but we can't fully comprehend Him. But, as I've said before, and these thoughts are not mine, by the way, I've, you know, there's been a scandal going on with pastors just ripping off other pastors' sermons wholesale. It's really kind of embarrassing. That's why, if you ever wonder, I'm not just a nerd. I'm not just like putting footnotes at the bottom. I'm trying to tell you that the things that I'm telling you are not necessarily all original to me, so no one can accuse me of ripping off somebody else's material. But anyway, the reality is this. God exists in that perfect little space, right? Having to I'm having to... I, I see it before y'all do, maybe, and so I know it's coming. I think what happens is every time I say something really profound, there's just a bolt of lightning, right? Just to kind of confirm it. God exists in that perfect little space where you can't worship something that you can't describe, right? You can't worship something that you can't know. But you can't... But but. Um, Let's see, how have I got it written here? But you, you also don't worship what you fully understand, right? You don't worship something that you know everything about. And God exists in this perfect little space for us, and, and, uh, and this is why we come to the communicable and incommunicable attributes. Some attributes of God are shared with His image bearers, us, and some are not. The ones he does share are called communicable. Those he does not are called incommunicable. We should expect this because God is transcendent. In other words, he's far off, he's other than us, but he's also near, he's relatable, he's imminent. He's both of these things at the same time. And hopefully, hopefully we're making this abundantly clear on Sunday nights when we're seeing the God of the book of Exodus who is high and lifted up and he's holy, but he also desires to draw near to his people. And he does so through these things like the tabernacle, through the the sacrificial system, all of these different things that God does to say, I'm so holy, God says, I don't have any business messing with those dirty sinners, but I'm going to take pains to make a way so that I can be with my people again, just as he was, walking with Adam and Eve, as it were, in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. And one day, we will be restored back to that reality where there is no longer any veil between us and God. Here's an example. God's love is communicable. You can love God, You can love your kids. You can love your grandkids. You can love your husband and wife. You have the capacity to love. Why do we have this capacity to love? Where does it come from? What does it point to? It points to the fact that the God who created us is a God of love, right? Now, His love is perfect. His love is infinite. His love is never changing. Our love is imperfect. Our loves are many times changing. Our loves Uh, Rise and fall, as it were. But God's love is is perfect. So, what we are seeing here is with these kind of communicable attributes, we'll talk about this more next time. The things that we have the capacity to do, even though we do them in a broken way, the things that we have the capacity to do point us toward the God who does them perfectly. We have the capacity to love, but our love is broken, right? It's, it's muddled. It's often confusing. And, and, our, and our passions come and go, and sometimes we even love the things we ought not to love. But there is a God whose loves are never confused, whose loves are never wavering. So everything knowledge, we, we look at our own knowledge, and we say, I, I, I'm so forgetful, you know? I know things, but... I forget things, I have to Google them really quick, right? And we, we have these, because of Genesis 3, we don't know like we ought to. But it points toward a God who knows perfectly and knows infinitely and knows everything. And so, but here's the incommunicable attributes of God. Here's an example. God's independence. This refers to God's lack of need for anything to sustain himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need Oxygen. He doesn't need, he doesn't even need worshipers, right? The Lord doesn't need us. This is an an incredible thing. God was not lonely. That's not why he created us, so that he could have a bunch of people to, you know, I don't know, keep him company in heaven. He's a God who is independent. And a God who is dependent, a God who needs something, would not be a God at all. He'd be certainly not a God worth worshiping, but by definition, He would not be a God really at all. Um, this is, I'm getting into the weeds here, but this is also called God's aseity. It's, it's from some Latin stuff. that means I say means from Himself. He, he just exists of Himself. He, didn't, he wasn't created. He didn't come into being. He just is. Acts and Psalms tell us, something about this, Acts 17, the God who made the whole world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, (laughs) heaven and hearth, it's a a typo there. (laughs) I guess he is the God of the hearth too, but he's... Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives life to all men and breath and Everything. Friends, we can worship our God because he doesn't need our worship. You know, somebody said something about, this, this is just an illustration, the fact that you don't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance is a good reason why you ought to. The fact that you're not coerced to, to love your country is a good reason to love your country because there are many people who live in countries where they are coerced to salute the flag, right? Um... The fact that God does not need our love, that God does not need our worship, is a good reason to offer it to him because he's a God who's not dependent on us. So that's why it's it's a good idea to worship him because he's a God who doesn't even need it. He just desires it from us. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all that is in it is mine. It's God kind of coming, stepping down to our level and using a little bit of our language to talk about what he's like a little bit. I've already kind of gone over this, but under this worship and apply, God does not need us. But this is beautiful because it demonstrates That he wants us. He will accomplish his purposes. But he invites us to be a part of that work. And this is undeserved. We get to join with God in what he's doing. Why should he invite us to be a part of that? Why should he invite us to be part of the means of God bringing sinners to salvation? He could do it independently of us. But he invites us to become a part of that plan. And so I think in worship, we should join him. Here's the second one, God's, and the last one that we'll consider, God's unchangeableness. And by the way, this one, from this one springs all kinds of praise and worship, that God is unchangeable. This is also referred to as his immutability. He's not mutable. He's not changeable. He doesn't rise and fall with emotions, with passions. He's not driven by, I don't know, passions or emotions. He's, that's what I say in that last sentence. God is not subject to passions or emotions which are out of His control. I'll talk about this in, in just a moment, but Malachi, just to look at the Bible, Malachi says, For I, the Lord, do not change. It's pretty clear. Psalm 33, The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations. So this means that God is not subject to outside forces altering his nature. God cannot be acted upon, right? Uh, Here's an interesting little thing. Passions, the word passions, until about 150 years ago, it was a negative word. Today, we use the word passion to mean good things, right? We, we desire that a husband be passionate about his kids or his job. We desire that, uh, or we, we would say this, oh, so-and-so, she's just a passionate Sunday school teacher, right? And it's seen as a good thing. But until a, that, this is a very recent development, it always in the past referred to being unduly influenced, not having control over your emotional state able to be influenced by the rising and falling of, I don't know, the whatever little chemicals are firing across our synapses. Indeed, up until the 19th century, the word passions was only used to speak of creatures. It was never used in the history of the church to speak about God. God was not spoken of as having passions. And I think this is right. If we understand what passions are, We see the difference in this one word between between the Christian God, the one true God, and the gods of uh, Greek mythology, right? These gods that have to be appeased, right? Sacrifices have to be made to them. They have to be swayed. They have to be convinced. They're they're susceptible to emotional fluctuation, overcome by variation in mood. It's uh, quoting from Matthew Barrett there. They need to be manipulated. Here's a little explainer. While a firefighter may choose not to be overcome with emotion when he arrives on the scene of a burning building, God is incapable of being influenced by passions, by his nature. I remember the first time when I was younger and I was in the fire department, I remember one of the first times that I got to the fire station first to drive the truck. And it was dispatched, you know, whatever. I think we were going to another district, but it was dispatched as a, as a working house fire. And, you know, when, when you're in the middle of the night, you're asleep, and the pager goes off in this really loud, intrusive, you know, obnoxious beeping. And you wake up and you're automatically, these chemicals dump and stuff, and you, and, you, and you get in your vehicle, you go real quick to the station, you get there and you're like, I'm the first one here. That means I'm holding the ball, right? And you, you throw your stuff in the truck and you start taking off down the road. I remember, I remember the very first night, it's got to be middle of the night, it's, it's dark, uh, you know, nobody's in town. I get up to the stoplight, the one stoplight in our town, and I, and I put my foot on the brake coming up to the four-way intersection. I got to turn left to go to that town, to that next town over. When I put my foot on the brake, my leg is doing this right here. It's like this stuff is just dumped into my system and it's like adrenaline is just pumping. And I remember thinking to myself, Greg, you got to calm yourself down. Like you're being influenced by some stuff that's going to make you drive this thing off the road. The good news is God doesn't He's not influenced this way. He doesn't have to choose not to be overcome with emotion because his essence is unchanging. He is who he is. He's perfect in all of his attributes. He's perfect in love. He's perfect in wrath. He's perfect in mercy. He's perfect in all of his attributes. But wait a second. Hold up. Doesn't this mean that God doesn't care? Like, can I speak of God? Can't I speak of God... Feeling compassion? Well, is, is he apathetic? Is he cold or callous or stoic or distant? Does, does he not feel love toward me in, in my pain? Here's some things we've got to keep in mind. God's attributes are perfect and infinite. This is where we see God's immutability is important for us. In our moment of need, we can remember that God's love is always infinite toward us. It doesn't need to rise to meet the occasion. It's just there. He is love toward those who are His. He is love in a certain way toward all of His creatures. He, it is not in danger of changing or being pushed around by our unfaithfulness. Here's the backside of this coin. What if, what if, believer, you fall into some kind of sin? disobedience for a season, right? Would that mean that God's love for you is lessened? God is immutable. His love is there. Immutability, this, this unchangeableness of God, right? And that's a, it's a big, big new word. It's not a danger to God's love or concern for us at all. Indeed, it actually protects God's love, for us. We're not in danger of God sleeping or being uncaring or from one day to the next. Remember in, in 1 Kings 18 when, when the prophets of Baal are there and Elijah goes up against them. What do, the, what do the people have to do to try to get the prophets of Baal to wake up? They start slashing themselves to, to, to wake him up, right? And Elijah begins to taunt them, is your God asleep? Is he in the bathroom? Right? It's kind of crass, but it's what the Word of God says. Their God was passable. Their God was mutable. Little g God is no God at all. The God of the Bible is unchanging. Here's how we can worship God and apply this. This stands, just as an example, application. This stands in direct contradiction to Latter-day Saint teaching. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. The Latter-day Saint God, for instance, is, is always growing in His Godhood every day. He's kind of like the Amway God. He could, he could level up and maybe be, you know, I don't know, a double diamond maybe next week or something like that. We praise God, however, for being unchanging. If He should change, He might relate to us differently tomorrow than He does today. He might become incensed or, 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 or somehow unrighteously angry at our sin and, and, and just banish us all to hell. He could, he could change his covenant. You know, have you ever heard your, somebody say, I don't think it's going to change the plan of salvation? Well, if God, was immu- if God was mutable, if God was changeable, he could change the plan of salvation and then all of a sudden we're wrecked. But God is unchanging. In a word, we can worship him because he is not like us. This is an incommunicable attribute. God is not like us and praise God that he's not like us. Praise God that he is not moved and pushed around by emotions and passions like we are. Praise God that he doesn't love one day and angry the next. Praise God that he doesn't have to rise to meet the occasion. He just is. And this is what I want to leave you with tonight. When you are in the throes of some uncertainty and you begin to question God's love toward you, preach this doctrine to yourself that God does not Change. He is not looking at you with some kind of furrowed brow based on what you did today, but he was pleased with you yesterday. He is unchanging and his love does not change. Rehearse the doctrine of divine unchangeableness, divine immutability, divine impassibility. Remember that God has declared that he will not, indeed, he cannot change. Is there anything that God cannot do? Of course. Of course, he can't sin. He can't do something against his nature. He cannot change. And it is good for us that he can't. Your circumstance, your circumstance is not a commentary on God's character. He is who he is. He's the God who says, I am that I am. Let me close with this from Psalm 102. Hopefully, this will be a good parting word. Of old, in other words, from eternity, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. They will all wear out like a garment. You change them like a raiment, and they pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Friends, we can worship God because of this tonight. He's a God who is not like us. Are there any questions about divine immutability, divine impassibility? Okay, well why don't I pray and we'll be dismissed. Thank y'all for being here tonight. I sure do love being with y'all as opposed to the alternative. (laughs) Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Uh, You have given us knowledge of yourself. Thank you. And thank you that sometimes this knowledge about yourself tells us how you're not like us. God, we yearn. We yearn for a God who is not like us. And thank you that you are such a God. It would be a sad state of affairs if we had to worship ourselves. If we had to worship a creature that was changing, that was not altogether good, not altogether loving, but you are altogether good and loving. Help us to see beautiful things in your word. Help the doctrine that we teach, not just to remain doctrine, but help, as all doctrine should, to lead to devotion, to lead to praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Would you keep us, God? Would you sustain us? In the name of Jesus, amen.